Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. Today's episode, Kim and I interview Julia, who also goes by Rehab Girlfriend on social media. And she's a really well-known and very popular creator in the TikTok recovery world. And she's actually the first person that I saw on TikTok and kind of got me involved. I saw her and I thought, okay, so we're doing this. We're making jokes about this because I got jokes about recovery. And it's kind of how I got involved, which I'm really, really grateful for. Also, we had to do this in two sittings and Kim wasn't able to be present for the second one. So when you, you'll notice that Kim is in the episode for maybe the first 10 minutes or so. And then the second half of the interview Kim wasn't actually there. So when you don't hear her line of questioning or, or her insight, that's why she, she wasn't able to be there for the second half of this. Also, today's episode involves a description of pregnancy loss and briefly touches on suicidal thought and suicidal ideation and may not be appropriate for all listeners. So please take care while listening to this episode. You'll also hear us mention a few times a sexual assault that Julia was a victim of, and she did actually describe the assault to us, but we've chosen to leave it out of today's episode, not necessarily because of its content, but we want to be able to focus also on the real process of recovery. And so we felt we were getting a little bit away from that when we included that. So we've chosen to leave that out and you'll hear us reference it. But the important aspects of the assault, we still talk about. We just don't have the, the description in detail. But that's what we're, we're referencing when you hear us talk about that. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, please reach out with any questions, concerns. I love reading your reviews. And anything that you would like to hear me talk about on the solo cast, please don't hesitate to ask. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. My name is Janine. I'm an alcoholic addict in recovery. My sobriety date is January 15th, 2015. My name is Kimberly Walker. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. My role on the podcast is to ask Janine and our guests questions that our listeners may have and change people's views on addiction and recovery. So today... Again, I know I say this every single week because it's true every single week. <laughs> Today, I am super, super excited. We have a, another, you might think this is goofy. I'm going to call you a TikTok star. We have another TikTok star <laughs> on the show. Um, she is one of the first people I found on TikTok. I stumbled across her TikTok, uh, which is Rehab Girlfriend. Mm -hmm. If you guys are on TikTok or Instagram, definitely give her a follow. And today we have Julia with us. Hi, Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi. She's coming all the way Great from, so you're here. actually in Buffalo today. You're not on the West Coast today. Buffalo, New York. Yeah. You're in New York today. Okay. Um, so I found Julia online and um, I was really drawn to her raw humor and her obviously very experienced humor. The first thing I saw that you did was the sober house manager, the guy who's sitting on the coffee oh. table and he's mm -hmm. like, oh, uh, and he's trying to be cool. And he's like, watch yeah. out for, uh, for this guy. And he's just such yeah. a dork. And I was like, okay, this girl has done the rounds. Oh, and then the real housewives of, was it Octavia house? The real housewives yes. of some house. And it was, she did like a real housewives episode uh -huh. where it went from the girls. It was really pretty brilliant, dude. It went from the girls being like, well, she went through my stuff and then it was the, the RA or the nurse. And she was like, okay, you know that you can't have this, but it was like, UDI. it was just hilarious. They're so funny. Yeah. Thank you. you. It means a lot that you that, remember like, that, actually. I remember all of those. Did you get started during 
COVID stuff? Is that how you got started doing TikToks? I did. Yeah. After I got out of rehab in March of 2020, um, I moved into my mom's house and I wasn't working. I wasn't doing anything. It was quarantine. And that's uh, when I got started. Awesome. Um, Okay. So as our audience knows, we get together and we try to kind of center something around an event in somebody's history. Mm -hmm. Uh, But before we get there, why don't you just give us a little introductory background about like who you are, where you're from, and then maybe kind of how you started getting using whatever you're, whatever you feel comfortable sharing here. Okay. So I, I'm from Oakland, California, born and raised, and I lived there up until about six months ago. And I, as far as recovery goes, my addiction really kind of kicked off and got pretty intense starting in high school. Pills have always been um, my thing, my jam, very big pill head, like the control of that and the rituals and the counting and the having it and the secrets. And Xanax and stimulants and alcohol, I think are my big Three, so I consider myself like polysubstance. Xanax was the most destructive. That really started in my senior year of high school. When I was 16, we had like finals and I tried uh, Focalin for, or Ritalin or something for the first time. And I'll never forget it. Like it like rolled, I could feel it like roll down my back and I could like do my homework really easily. And I was like, this is how normal people must feel all the time. And then I really never did anything without it, um, since. So that, I mean, my, my, uh, recovery journey with stimulant ADHD medications is is still very much ongoing. That's like been a long process. Um, but Xanax kind of started off and continued to be really intense. Um, and is kind of why I got into recovery in the first place, and that was the first thing that I was like, oh, okay, I can't do this anymore. The first thing that I accepted, like in my first round of rehab. And then, but I thought I could still drink. You know, I still like continued to make exceptions and then found that I could not, in fact, still drink. <laughs> if I drink, like I'm going to be drinking the next day and I'll never stop drinking because why would I stop drinking? And uh, my stepmom took me to my first AA meeting in 2015. Right after I graduated high school, because prom night, um, I came home really, really super intoxicated off of Xanax, and my dad couldn't tell what I was on and was really scared for me. And I had lost all my friends um, because I threw a bunch of parties and was like very inappropriate and abrasive and off, just a mess off the wall. And so no one wanted to be around me, obviously. Yeah, that's kind of how it started. And honestly, since high school, like I don't really have a bunch of partying stories because that kind of happened then. And then it stopped being fun (laughs) and it stopped working the way that I wanted it. So I've basically just been kind of trying in and out of recovery, trying to recover for like five going on six years, like freshman year of college and until now I'm 24 so did you have to detox Xanax the first time you went into rehab? Because I always, our listeners always have a lot of questions about like specifics on detox and what that looks like. A lot of our mm-hmm. audience is strung out on opiates and benzos. So how did you detox, detox from Xanax the first time? Did you have to? And what did that look like? That is a good question. The first time, 
my that's another thing my memory is still like very much affected okay. by it cuz i was taking okay. in very high doses if what i was buying off the street was in fact Xanax um <laughs> who right. knows really but yes i did have to detox i went to CDRP which was my local like Kaiser outpatient okay. center and they put me on phenobarbital they put me on depakote um okay. and so yeah, there was a lot of detox from Xanax is horrendous. <laughs> Long story short, heard that. yes, I did have to so detox. Ben knows I've never really had to detox, so that's kind of why I asked too. I had to detox heroin, and I would be dirty mm-hmm. for benzos, um, just because like I was occasionally doing them, but it wasn't ever something that I was like really strung out on. So I've heard that. So even if you don't remember the first one. In general, when you've gotten to that place, what do you do to get off benzos? Even if you don't remember the first one, kind of what's your process? Like, do you- That's a good question. Yes. So usually I would um, detox because I had to. I didn't have a supply anymore. And it would always, it was always very terrifying because I knew that I could die. It's one of the ones that's fatal or potentially fatal. And you can have seizures and all sorts of gnarly stuff can happen to you. And so I would immediately, luckily I had the resources I've been very privileged in the kind of treatment I've been able to get like, and repeatedly. So I would immediately go get help that way. Cause I knew I needed to be on medication. And I also really hate being uncomfortable. It's part of the reason why I became an addict. <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to skip that part. And, you know, they put you here on a lot of medication when I was younger, it was especially tough. I don't know if like it was cause I was young and my brain hadn't fully developed, but really emotionally volatile. I feel like I want to kill myself really bad. The suicidal ideation, really gnarly. That's actually something that's kind of like stuck with me. This last time I had to get off, it was, um, it just takes so long. It takes yeah. a really long time. And it, it took like years and years and years for me to feel even close to normal again. Mm-hmm. And I felt really, really? hopeless. Mm-hmm. Years. Wow. Okay. When you say you don't like being uncomfortable, are you talking about physically, emotionally, all of the above? Like when all you're going through All of the above. It? All yeah. of the above. Xanax detox is really, um, it's like a head trip. I mean, it can be physically uncomfortable too, but for me, it's like psychologically agonizing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of crying, just crying, tearful for like hours. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it sucks. And this last time I was, it was especially gnarly. And that's why I kind of stopped. Cause I was like, I don't think I could do this again. Like next time I'm going to die. And I got that sense and that stuck with me. When was the last um, time that you went through that? The detox? That was, uh, January of 2020. Um, okay. I got sober from Xanax and alcohol February 4th, 2020, when I went into okay. detox and then rehab. And yeah, that, that, detox was especially gnarly, like stuck to a mattress alone in a room in San Francisco, feeling like I want just trying not to hurt myself, trying my hardest not to hurt myself. Um, and just feeling death, like on Mm -hmm. my shoulder. I mean, metaphorically, like whispering in my ear, it was very, it was haunting. The story in particular that you wanted to share about today, and I know that we just recently passed the anniversary of this. And first of all, I want to commend you for being willing to share this because I'm sure a, or a lot of our listeners are female. And so this is probably, mm-hmm. this is going to be something that's universal. You had gotten sober for a period of time and then you had gotten pregnant. So why don't we talk about that period of sobriety? What got you there? What that looked like? And then h- however you're comfortable, if you just want to, you know, 
launch into the story? Sure. Okay. So it was 2019. I was 22, 23 years old, 22 years old. Um, (laughs) And I went to rehab at the camp in Santa Cruz. Um, I was doing a lot of like Adderall off the street, which was a meth. It was meth Um, and drinking a lot. Um, and I, I've never been able to quit drinking alone. Um, so I tend to go to rehab for that. So I went to rehab for that and I met, um, there, which was a pattern for me. I tend to latch on to someone, um, rehab and like, then try to make it work after. And I basically invited person to move in with me right after <laughs> we both graduated. Did He moved in with me to my one room that I was renting in San Francisco as they graduated they graduated me early because um knew about the relationship and it was against the rules Um, yeah but uh like I was really involved in the rehab so they were kind of nice to me and they let me off easy by letting me graduate um so I went home he moved in with me and I had an IUD I had a copper IUD and which I assumed was working but it had dropped into my cervix um unbeknownst to me and uh, got pregnant un- unexpectedly um, with this person who I had not known for very long, who was also still struggling with their sobriety. And I was really early. I stayed sober, I think, for like, this was a stint of five months, which was the longest that I had had um, at the time. So mm-hmm. we both got out of rehab, moved in together to like find jobs and restart our lives uh, together. And I found out I was pregnant um, and uh, I went in the next day. I was excited. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty excited. Um, it was a really, really bad time. And I went into the doctors the next day um, to actually, the, after I like took the test at home, see if I was pregnant and they removed the IUD so that if it was a viable pregnancy, cause there was a chance that it was like ectopic and stuff. Um, that I could carry it, um, term. Is that the term? (laughs) Yeah. And they pulled it out. They pulled the copper T IUD out and one of the arms of the copper T, like it looks like this had cracked Mm -hmm. off in my service. (gasps) So they pulled it out. It was one arm. Um, oh my God. Lawsuits ongoing. Yeah. So that is still (laughs) actually lodged in my cervix. It still Um, is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had multiple procedures and stuff to try and um, move it. Um, but basically, what happened after that was that they found out that it was it wasn't in my um, fallopian tube, so that was fine. And so we thought, you know, I was like, did I? So it was super unexpected. But I was like, you know what, God, if this is because um, I I I had a spiritual awakening while I was at the rehab. I was falling in love with this person and uh, like, you know what, God, if this is the plan, then that's fine. Like I'll embrace it. And I felt really good about myself for doing that. And I was like, I had never felt like I had lost kind of all sense of purpose and direction in my life. Um, as you kind of do with, with addiction, once like your reason for living, the drugs and alcohol is removed. Like I, uh, really empty and 
you know, that was manifesting and like trying to find partners and stuff. Um, I had this thing like growing inside of me, this life that was like, Oh, this is, this will be my thing. Like this is going to, okay. I'll be like a young mom. Um, and that's going to be, that's my life finally, like something for me to do. (laughs) And, um, but I was also scared because, um, that kind of pressure on a, on a child is, you know, I knew it wasn't great. And I was like, how am I going to teach this kid to, this and like love themselves if if I don't um being very scared about that and I didn't know what I was going to do um kind of went back and forth for a little bit but I I was pretty set on keeping it Uh, he was we were both really unprepared um yeah I was like okay I'm doing this and then we went in for the first um exam which is like where they like see if they can find the heartbeat and stuff and they couldn't and Mm -hmm. I was like I had no, I like did not know what to do. Um, sad and angry though, mostly, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so like I cried with uh, my boyfriend at the time and um, like I, I, I had gotten sober to have this baby and I'd like stopped yeah. taking my antidepressants and done a whole bunch of like, yeah. you know, uh, stuff. So I was in a really kind of fragile place anyways um but my boyfriend at the time was struggling kind of silently even more with his sobriety so we were teetering on the edge of relapse I had like gotten further away from um and the things that I was doing on a daily basis and the support my support system Um, we relapsed as soon as I left the hospital Real, that that second, like on the way home yeah we I mean I was like crying we left the hospital I didn't know what to do um, and we went next door and bought like a couple plants. There was this plant store and I was like, I will buy this lucky bamboo plant and it will be, I will keep it alive with my motherly instincts. And like, I was just very lost. I didn't really know. Okay. I have pictures from the time, but I was kind of like in a haze about it. Okay. So I called my mom. I like let her know. I was like crying, but we got on, um, BART, which is like a, tra- it's like the subway of San Francisco. And, right. um, I was like, we had been kind of playing around with the idea for a while of like going to a dispensary and we just decided to pull the trigger in that moment. Um, and we went and got some like edible, like weed gummies. Okay. Were you guys working at that time? He was working. Okay. He was working at Whole Foods in the meat department. Meet Santa. I don't know if you remember that ad campaign from last year oh my god super creepy oh wait no i feel like i kind of do where was that running how have i seen meat santa familiar yeah if they did this campaign where they were like uh the people at the deli counter and whole foods were like meat santa it was like a christmas campaign so he was a meat santa I totally remember this. I didn't know it was a real thing. I thought it was a joke advertising like the butcher. Deli yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they have a, they have a meat Santa. That was, or it's just the employee and they dress it up as meat Santa. Pretty much. Yeah. They, they just packaged it as like, this is a meat Santa, okay. <laughs> but it was just like, he worked he in the deli. wearing like a Santa hat. No, wear. no, luckily, luckily okay, not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he was working there and, uh, we were very much struggling to hold on to employment because it was early sobriety. And I had just gotten okay. fired because I was working at a temp agency. I was trying not to take Adderall, like even prescribed Adderall okay. at the time. I had found an antidepressant that was kind of working for me. Not to make excuses. I was also lazy and also like 
<laughs> hanging on to sobriety by a thread, but I had just gotten yeah. fired because I basically found out that I was pregnant and completely checked out at this job that I wasn't really feeling anyways. So you guys relapsed on weed on the way home and then what progressed from there? I fell into a deep, I fell into, I was very depressed. I had stopped taking my antidepressants. My therapists and various recovery uh, professionals that I've worked with over the years uh, <laughs> think it's very important for me to acknowledge the fact that going off my meds tends to trigger a relapse for me. Um, sure. So, yeah, but the weed edibles started kind of a slow snowballing of a relapse and it was basically like you know I had to go in and have a procedure because I had to do a DNC because I wasn't like passing the miscarriage on um, its own uh, and they also needed to go in and see if they could get the arm out and so they prescribed me like one out of Anne and a couple Norco, which was like, oh, thanks for the one Ativan. I've been banging, like, nine <laughs> bars at a time of, like, street Xanax for years, and it takes, like, ten years for that to go back down. So that wasn't really working. But I used it as an excuse to, you know, get further and further keep away going. from the program and, yeah, to keep going. And then, you know, my partner came home smelling like beer and I was like, I want beer. <laughs> and so then it just kind of like spiraled from there and the consequences were immediate. So you were back on Xanax. Eventually. Yeah. We lost our housing because of like a domestic, we got in a physical altercation, uh, and like a screaming match, um, that, my former house manager from Sober Living was living above me at the time. He had become kind of like my best friend. Um, and he kind of helped me get into this rehab center. And then I came back with this boyfriend who I'm like, that's they're going right. to be moving in uh, with me in this room that they're not really allowed to be living in. Um, so that was the situation. And then we got into this dis domestic dispute. And um, my friend, she come down and like physically separate us. Um, wow. and I, I don't remember any of this, like I blocked it out or whatever, but right. that resulted right. in us losing our housing and then kind of being homeless for a while. And that's kind of when, um, we moved in with my grandparents, bless their hearts. They've saved my life multiple times. Um, but we moved in with my grandparents and the idea was, I think, oh, let's get four Xanax bars and parcel it out through the week which I think I've told myself like a hundred times <laughs> throughout my life and it's right. never been like that. Right. So yeah, he kicked off straight back into, um, I think when he went out to score the Xanax, he also picked up meth and heroin and started like shooting it okay. uh, that night. But I was back in like Xanaxville, which was my just checked out completely pretty much instantly. And then you guys eventually, how did you eventually get back into, I know in uh, February of 2020, you went back into rehab. So what's the time frame we're talking about from living at your grandparents' house to going into rehab, like when you established Rehab Girlfriend and um, kind of to this phase in your life, like what time frame and what all transpired? And I know Xanax leaves a lot of <laughs> memory blanks. So as best as you can put it together. 
eventually with my grandparents kind of putting their foot down, we were not going to be able to continue using and living in their residence. And so something had to change. And we knew we had to get sober eventually because we'd both done this multiple times before. So we got back into outpatient. But then eventually, you know, the relationship had to end because we weren't helping each other get sober. And it was getting pretty toxic and hard. Um, So he moved out, went back to his hometown. And I moved into an all-women's sober house in Concord, California. And, but I still wasn't ready to get sober. So I um, started working at the same uh, strip club that I was working in before, which I stayed sober for a decent part of that. Um, you know, you were living in sober living, working at a strip club. Yes. And I love, honestly, I loved it. I really loved it, but I wasn't ready to stop drinking. So I got off the Xanax and whatever. And like, going to this job every day really gave me something to like keep going and it helped me like it really not to like romanticize that time in my life because I was a wreck but this dancing job really helped me like for all of the things that for all of the bad things because there definitely are two sides I think to sex work a lot of the time right it really helped me like be in my body reconnect with my body, feel sexy again. Um, and I think it started me back on the path of like mm, spirituality again, a little bit in tune. Cause that's what I was, that's what I wanted to do if I wasn't going to be pregnant and like be a mom. I wanted to still kind of like do stuff like that. You know, what's interesting. I just thought of this. I wonder if, and I could be wrong. I've heard, I've had friends have miscarriages and there's almost a feeling of being like betrayed by your own yes. body, even though you understand intellectually that that's not what happened. But I wonder if you felt a little bit betrayed and disconnected from your body and then the dancing allowed you to get reconnected. Do you think that that happened? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point actually. Uh, yes. And I felt betrayed by my body. That was like uh, several betrayals And, like, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, like, being assaulted, not that I felt, like, betrayed by my own body, but I felt completely out of touch. I didn't really want anything to do with it. And then then the miscarriage, yeah, I did feel betrayed and, like, just, like, again, it was kind of like a grief, a lot of grief experience being in my body and very uncomfortable. Um, Dancing helped because it was, like, it just helped me get out of my head a little bit and be in my body. And I remember, well, yeah. And you're the one that's in control in those environments too, yes. right? And I'm sure the assault left you feeling very out of control. And I'm sure the miscarriage left you feeling very out of control. And when you're the one dancing, you're the one that's, you're in control and you're connected to your body. I mean, I can see very you much there, so. You know? I yeah. Can see how that made sense to you. And it was like, I was working with a lot of women. All my coworkers were women that felt very comforting. Like both after both of these experiences that were really traumatic, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to be surrounded by women. So like after I got assaulted, I went to rehab for the first time, a rehab of all women. That was very healing. And then now after this miscarriage, I went to live in a sober living house with all women and worked with all women. And, um, you know, and it's also like 
in a good club, they'll protect you from stuff. So it's kind of like someone's looking out for you. So yeah, I, it was kind of a healing experience in some very odd ways, but I wasn't done drinking. So I continue to do that. Did that lead to Xanax again for you or did it stay alcohol or what was that progression? Uh, Oh yes. I forgot this body part of my memory. I did go back to Xanax. I decided that this very healing uh, all women's rehab and experience was not for me anymore. And I was going to move out to a subletted room in the hate living with this guy that I didn't know. He was lovely, but it was very lonely. And I was still reeling from the miscarriage and the end of this relationship. So it was like a double punch of two things I thought I was going to be able to keep and control how it went. And so I did pills about it. Meth pills, okay. <laughs> which were marketed as E, but they were not. Um, so meth pills yeah, and Xanax. Meth pill? I, I heard you say that before. What's a meth pill? What do you mean by that? Or it's literally just methamphetamines and a pill. I'm pretty sure it's just meth and a pill because. Okay. But not Adderall. It's no. Yeah. They were like, here, my dealer who bless his heart was not the most well-connected gentleman, um, in East Oakland. And (laughs) so he was like, here, I've got some E. He was also very addicted to both of these substances that he was selling me. I feel like I need to say that too. And it's still an ongoing thing for him. We're still in touch. Like a no, no hard feelings, whatever. Um, yeah, I think it was, it was like ecstasy, but it felt like just plain meth <laughs> and maybe like okay. sass in like one or two of them <laughs> okay. and, uh, okay. Xanax. So I would do like, um, I would start the day with like three of the meth pills in like the first four hours, clean the whole house, um, just for something to do. And then go to work at this new club that I was working at, a nude club. By that time, I would start to, like, I would have a beer to start to come down from the meth pills. (laughs) Uh, And then go to work at this nude club that I was working at. Um, Another experience that I kind of enjoyed working at that club, but I was doing way too many drugs. So then I would take, like, I would count out. I had this lockbox Um, you know, with a different, like you're supposed to count change in there. And I would count out like 10 of these uh, Xanax bars into each one of the little containers and then like take those by four in the morning, which is when I got home and then hopefully like fall asleep. And then I I repeated that for a few weeks um, until my supply ran out because my dealer went to rehab (laughs) and it was fucking miserable, man. I was, it was the loneliest yeah. I've ever been, even though I had all the so drugs I wanted. So, so you had to detox when he went to rehab? Yeah, eventually I did have to detox um, from Xanax. And it, did you go somewhere or you were just kind of detoxing like at your house? Detoxing from Xanax is a hellish experience. I was, this time yeah. I had to be at home because um, <laughs> as much as I got super drunk and went down to the outpatient center and was like, please let me into a detox. I'm going to die. Um, they were like, we just don't have, there's not a bed for you right now. And we've done this with you multiple times, Julia. So I had to detox at home and they didn't give me the Klonopin that I wanted. I had to like take like chlorazepate or whatever. Um, and it was really hard. And I basically just laid in bed. I was like stuck to this mattress trying not to 
kill or, or hurt myself because that's that's one of the biggest symptoms for me with Xanax withdrawal is the suicidal ideation where like it just sounds like the, what you really want to do. Luckily made it through that, but it was rough. How long did that take? What? Because Xanax is not something I've ever had to detox. What does that detox look like? I mean, it's long, right? Yes, it's very long. Um, very long. Like even a few weeks. yeah, a few weeks for sure. The first two weeks are the hardest, I think, and the first like ten days are super super intense, and then a little bit easier. I don't, why can't I remember? I don't know. Because you were on Xanax? Yeah, I was on Xanax, I guess. <laughs> Shit. I just remember that it was hellish so, and terrible. Yeah. So no matter. You were there, you were at the strip club, you kind of kicked the Xanax. Yeah, and then, but Where I couldn't kick next? the alcohol. Couldn't do it. Okay. Couldn't do it. Never have okay. been able to do it. Okay. Like I just. Okay. And that's when you went to rehab in February of 2020, your dad took you somewhere. Yes. They finally had a okay. bed for me at diamond house detox. I was excited okay. because my ex who I had just broken up with had been there before he went to the rehab that I met him at. And he was like, it was super okay. cushy. They gave me a bunch of benzos and subs and like, cool. so yeah. Okay. So you went there and then that, that leads us into the period that you're in now. Right. So like, on the way to on the way to detox, why don't you tell the story about how you started? Because this is I found you on TikTok. So on the way to that rehab, how did that? I know that's when you came up with your TikTok name. Why don't you tell us how that kind of came? To okay, be? let me. Okay, let me just summarize the last. Okay, so had a miscarriage, got had a miscarriage, relapsed, broke up with my boyfriend. Um, moved into a sober living, was still stripping, decided that I wasn't done drinking, kept drinking, kept taking pills, moved out. Terrible. Um, from Xanax on my own eventually because I ran out of my supply. And then finally they had a bed for me at a detox and residential facility in Sacramento. And uh, had to call my dad to give me a ride. Um, and my dad is sober. He's in the program. He's got, uh, several years. Yeah. Him and, and his wife, his second wife, my stepmom sober. Um, so were your parents local to you this whole time and what were they thinking and what was your involvement with them? They were local. They had done this with me multiple times, tried to help me get sober multiple times. My mom, um, was more the type to never give up and always want to be helping me in any way that she could. Mm-hmm. Um, like again and again and again, <laughs> even though like, and then my dad was kind of the opposite and was very, very okay. scared and was like, I was preparing for you to die. Like I, I thought that mm-hmm. you were going to die and I had resolved myself to that was probably a phone call that I was going to get one day. But they were local. So they were across the bridge okay. in Oakland, and I was in San Francisco. Okay. Dad asked him to give me a ride. He was not super stoked about it, but he said yes, and we got in a huge fight on the way there. I hopped in the car smelling like rum, like a half a pint of Sailor Jerry's as I was packing for rehab the night before, and, like, trying not to yak on the bar train, like, 
Oh God, I had it on video. It was really bad. Um, but yeah, so got in the car. We got in a huge fight almost immediately because he was like, "You smell like booze." I'm telling you, fucking what are you? What the hell are you doing? And you know, he was very candid about the fact that he did not like having to repeatedly take me to these uh, detox or rehab centers. I would meet guys. And most recently got pregnant by one. He was not shy about sharing his feelings about that. And he had also been kind of having this argument where I was like, you know, it really hurt my feelings when you uh, pulled me aside when I was like 10 years old and was like, everyone wants to be an actress, like little 10 year old theater kid. Everyone wants to be an actress. Like you got to pick a more practical dream. Like that really hurt my feelings. And he was like, Oh, Juliet, like, he has apologized for it before, but this time in the car, like, he was mad. He was like, you know what, Juliet, if you wanted to, if you wanted to do acting so bad, you should have just done it anyways. Fuck what I said, you should have just done it anyways. And I was like, oh, well, Pops, you do have a point. And so I kind of combined, I used, um, serial, like, rehab girlfriend, um, and then trying to, like, do more acting, writing, just, I don't know, entertainment stuff. Um, and that was kind of how I started the account. It wasn't the first TikTok account that I started, but it was the one that um, I stuck with and kind of that took off the most. That's so cool. So that's actually, that right there is a little added like bonus to all of this, right? It created this kind of cool thing that you do now that really brings a lot of like entertainment and education. And that's cool that that's the story behind that. I yeah. That. It's amazing. My dad dropped me off at the rehab center. Um, I did detox and then I decided to extend my stay, um, for around 60 days and I got out. I moved in with, I swallowed my pride and moved in with my mom. Um, and then the, the pandemic and lockdown had started when I was staying in the rehab. Um, so right. moved right into my mom's house after I had graduated and I was lucky enough to be on disability living with my mom. So I had a safe place and I just yeah. had time like for the first time to like yeah. breathe and, um, like I wasn't behind like rushing to catch up because the world had kind of like, you know, was standing still. So, totally. um, I just decided to, I got really into TikTok and I really fell in love with it. I've always loved, like, I loved Vine. I really wanted to be a part of Vine. I've always, like, been a huge Vine fan um, and YouTube fan since I was, like, you know, 13 years old. Yeah, I've always, I've always loved that. And so I decided for the first time to, like, actually uh, get involved in that. And that's kind of how it started. Um, just had all this material because I had been going in and out of rehab for a long time and I found, yeah. um, some recovery creators on TikTok that I was like, this shit is so funny. Um, that's what I thought when I saw you, by the really? way, when I saw your, yes, dude, you were, you might've been the first person that I saw, to be honest, it was either you or, or Maggie, um, it might've been recovery. Yeah. I remember one of you three I saw first, I think it was you because same thing as you. I have so much, like I could make a joke every day for the rest of my life probably and have it be like relatively different about 
I mean, I've lived in millions of sober livings, and I think the first thing I saw of yours was the Real Housewives of, okay, people are doing this? Because I got jokes. Like, I got jokes. If, if this is appropriate and I can make this a thing, like, I'll do this. Because I've actually found a lot of my, and I never want to make, I want my show to be a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, content's very serious. Obviously, the stories that you've shared are very serious. But if we get stuck in the, in the muck and the mire of the pain of the addiction, why would we ever leave? And I feel like if we can, in safe spaces, really talk about, like, some of that shit was hilarious, dude. Like, some of what happened was so funny. And I think it's important to show that side of things, too, because it also will help release the stigma because people that are not in recovery think of it as just, oh, so serious. And, like, you know, my maid of honor, even actually at my wedding, who's one of my best friends uh -huh. ever, she asked me ahead of time, she, and she's not in recovery. She was like, are you okay if I say that you and Skylar met in recovery? And I was like, yes, of course, everybody knows because people are scared to touch it because they're like, you know, it, it just, it seems so dark and sad. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of that shit's true. But you know what? A lot of life is dark and sad and we're not afraid to talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was too, but some of it was funny. Um, and so when I saw some of your stuff, I was like, okay, man, if we're doing this, I'm going to do it because some of it was funny, you know, and, and I, and it, it's really become part of my sobriety and I feel like it's become part of your sobriety and recovery also. Would you say that being in the social media sobriety content world is part of your recovery now? Um, thank you so much. And yes, I, I definitely would say that um, because yeah, like you said, I mean, I completely lost my sense of humor for a while. Like stuff just wasn't funny. Um, suddenly it w was able to be, and that was really healing. Um, yeah, just like you said, like finding all these great creators, um, and connecting with everyone. And like it, that is what kept me sober through the pandemic when like meetings were shutting down and, right. um, I met this great, yeah, this just this great online community that like really exploded. Like, you know, since we got into it, um, you and right. I, like, it's just like, I mean, it seems I'm not, <laughs> I don't trust my powers of no, observation very much, but yeah, it's ballooned. And yeah. now there's a bunch of great, um, out there and like different niches within, um, it's been, it's been well, it's, huge for my recovery. Way, yeah. It's a great way for other people to see you're a lot younger than I am, but like if I had been your age and I had seen you being in recovery and I was like, look at this like cool, funny chick doing it. You're also really very honest about mental health and ADHD struggles and the medications and all that stuff. If I had seen that, it, it would have been so much easier for me to have accepted a life of sobriety because my big thing was, how am I going to like meet a guy and get married if I don't drink? Like you're, you're out of your fucking mind. That's not going to happen. But like now that there are these social media platforms where you see other young people who are talking about this and making it funny, it's like, oh, I know it. I can go out with that guy because he's funny and he's sober too. Exactly. And now I see that there were guys like, yeah. You know I mean, so like there's such a, you know, there's such a big part of that. And Scott, what do you mind if I ask, and we can cut this out if you don't want me to ask, do you take prescription medications now for ADHD? Um, do, well, so right now at this moment, I am not, I'm taking, okay. um, Wellbutrin, which is kind of like used to treat ADHD. It's also prescribed for a number of other things like, um, right. smoking and depression is a big one. Mine kind of show up, they, 
can kind of mimic each other. I don't know. ADHD has its okay. two best friends, depression and anxiety, and they all kind of show up in me. So, um, okay. and I take uh, propranolol for anxiety, but I've been trying for uh, a couple months now, I think. I mean, it's been a long on and off battle, and like I change how I feel about right. it kind of a lot because okay. I do struggle with ADHD, like with work and school and life in general, uh, and the chips. Um, but at this time currently, no, I've been trying for a couple of months to like try and, um, not take it because I was really losing control of it. Um, and like I would take some and then it would just become like this about taking more, you know how it is. Like it just flicks on in your brain. Um, and, uh, so I've been trying other things like, um, microdosing LSD has been something I never thought that okay. I would try that I have tried. Okay. Um, I've tried a couple psychedelics. I have not been honest with my sponsor about this kind of stuff, but it is something okay. that I do in my heart of hearts and like in my gut feel okay with, um, as a okay. part of like my recovery. But I know that there's a lot of, um, different, viewpoints on what is sobriety and what is recovery and what's acceptable and what's not. But for me, like that's actually been super helpful. Um, because for a while I was hopeless and I thought that I could not do anything without that medication. And that in itself is a setup for a a dysfunctional relationship with the medication. I personally think that sober, what that means is between the addict and God. Yeah. And what the person feels in their gut is appropriate for them to me is what, you know, is, is what sober is, is, is what I yeah. think, you know, um, and I'm very, you and I talked about this before I'm 12 step based. Right. But I also think that the principles of 12 step and the literature and the relationship, the idea of like a sponsor, all of those things can still be and grown even if the person, you know, the person is doing something that they feel is like best for them, you know, is that, if that's totally. makes sense, and if you feel like that's helping you manage your ADHD totally. more so than, you know, a manufactured medication, you know? Yeah. Um, and as, um, life, life is great now. Um, that has come from TikTok. I mean, yeah, I have a, I have a really solid, um, a background that's like what I've been raised on. I don't always work a solid program, but that is what I always return to. I love meetings, um, the social structure. I've moved to Buffalo. I moved in with um, my partner who I actually met on TikTok in a recovery meeting based uh, in TikTok. It was called TikTok, like we're talking right now. Um, oh, sober cool. comedy hosted <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. So that's where we met. Um, came like best friends over the internet. Um, and I moved out here, um, to be their roommate and then we started dating. Um, so that's wonderful. Um, and TikTok, I uh, me like the, doing the whole TikTok account thing that showed me that like what I want to do and that that's still possible, Um, and that it's even possible to do what I want to do while helping other people directly or indirectly, um, and learning from other people. Um, and that was something with the miscarriage that like 
was terrifying. Like when I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, oh, finally, like I felt full and full of purpose and like centered and serene for the first time. Um, so really scared because I was like, uh oh, how am I going to teach this kid to live with purpose and like feel full and get that um, from themselves uh, and love themselves, you know, uh, if I don't have that <laughs> and if I'm relying on them um, because, you know, like whatever genetics do play a part, but like I don't, you know, that's part of why I turned to drugs is because I lost that or I didn't have right. it. So. Right. Um, yeah, TikTok has given me that. I now I now kind of work in that realm um, with people in, in recovery, um, which is nice, like working in, I guess, social media, digital media, making videos. Yeah, you represent dope. You have a you have a brand agreement. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I work for um, MCV, who which uh, my sponsor founded and, and runs. Um, and so, yeah, I just have, when people talk about not to like attraction rather than promotion, but when people in AA talk about the promises, like I have not finished working the steps at all, but like the promises is still totally come true. Like they said, I saw this quote when I first got into rehab this last time that was like drugs and alcohol will give you, or, um, sobriety will give you everything that drugs and alcohol promised you. And like, that is, I've found that to be true. So yeah, life is awesome now. It's not always easy, but it's, it's great. So you have a sponsor. Do you go to meetings? I mean, I know it's a little bit tough right now, but do you do the meeting thing too? It's been, I've had a really hard time, um, integrating into this, into the AA community in Buffalo where I live now. Um, I was, I really leaned on it a lot in Oakland and in San Francisco and I like got to know the people and I love AA like even just for the I know a lot of people like are put off by the spirituality part but even just for the social structure like just going there being able to fucking vent (laughs) like like, you know uh and then just smoke a cigarette with someone in the parking lot and be like dude life sucks right now (laughs) And then the person's like, yeah, right. it really does. Um, and right. the blueprint for living was also something that I found really helpful because my whole life I felt like I was missing out on like this handbook for life. I always felt different from everyone else. Um, I felt like an asshole or like the greatest person in the world. Um, and like yeah. being able to unlearn some of that stuff and learn how to have healthy relationships and like show up in the world my sponsor has been amazing for that. I can just call her. Like, I didn't always love the idea of a sponsor, but I really actually got to know and love and trust her. And um, I've been struggling with being honest with her lately, but I still know that I can call her at any time. And I do. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what to do about this. And she will give me really good advice. Like she says, she has amazing advice. She always knows exactly what to say. Yeah. And like a lot of, I, I also use the word God for higher power. And like the people that I've met through her and the way that I met her was very like coincidental, like God shots, a lot of God shots when I'm, when I'm close to Maggie. So, um, yeah. need to get back into meetings though, so, because I have not been going to them and that's been really impacting you- my mental health and stuff. 
Do you still host? I remember at one point you were hosting a sex worker meeting. Do you still host that? So, no. I would and be willing to again. We don't I would it. love to talk about it. Okay. I actually didn't okay. found it. My friend um, oh, okay. uh, actually founded the meeting because, um, I don't know, There, it's not always super easy to talk about in regular meetings, even women's meetings. Um, and a lot of times when I've been in rehabs, they've told me to uh, not talk about like, Oh, there's some, like, especially co-ed rehabs, co-ed outpatient rehabs. Oh, there's like, you know, some men that might be like just coming to terms with the fact that they have a sex addiction, like when they're trying to get off drugs. So like, don't talk about it. And I'm like, okay, well, like I'm here to work my shit out too. Um, maybe like it can be on them, like not to be weird to me. I don't know. Right. Just a suggestion. But yeah, so it was, um, she created the meeting for to have a safe space for sex workers who are in recovery to talk about recovery within the context of sex work, whether or not you're still okay. a sex worker or not. It's just if that's okay. something that you've been involved in and like the range is is bigger than I think a lot of people think it might be like if you were um, waiting tables at a strip club or like DJing at a strip club or you worked at a sex shop to anywhere from that to like full service sex work um or sugar dating even a lot of a lot of people do like the the sugar daddy thing that also counts um as sex work and so it's not a meeting for i mean whatever you're in recovery from you can come to the meeting but so it's, it's a 12 step meeting you're able to talk about it what is the average, what does that meeting look? They're online, right? They're online. How is it we actually, we actually it? stopped having them, but I would okay. be willing to host it again on Sundays. Um, if okay. there was interest. So like if someone hears this podcast and wants to come, I think we're considering possibly starting it up anyways, but there was just, it okay. got, there's attendance dwindled. Um, and we decided okay. to kind of pause it for a while. Okay, so but that's on it, pause for now. It's an hour long meeting, just like an AA meeting. We read a preamble. It's anyone, it's open to anyone to come, um, regardless of sober time, if you're under the influence, if you're sober curious, um, if you're fully abstinent and have been for like 20 years, like wherever you're at. You can come. Okay. Just a safe space. Safe space. For sex workers. Mm-hmm. To and we have a speaker and then we have a discussion or sometimes we have a topic discussion. Um, Ask people doubt. And if so, is that part of your recovery? And so talk to me about like the pole dancing in terms of fitness as part of your recovery. That's cool that you just said that without my even prompting. <laughs> like what is that? What does that look like? Um, it should be. a. am trying to make it a bigger part of my recovery because I feel great when I work out. It's also like the fastest. I've seen your videos. They're so yeah. beautiful. Oh, thank you. You're so smooth. Thank you. Um, I, I feel the best. Like it's the easiest way for me to get an actual like high in sobriety. Yeah. Um, but of course I have a lot of resistance to it too. Cause it's, it takes effort and it's like, you know, it's doing something good for myself, which for whatever reason still isn't my first impulse. Um, and so I really like dancing, pole dancing especially has given me, um, an outlet that is something that I like to do 
anyways, so I can kind of work out that way, but I've also been trying to incorporate going to the gym and, like, honestly watching the amount of fun that you have in your studio and, like, the spin classes with the lights off. Like, dude, that has really, (laughs) that has really inspired me to get back into it because, um, I mean, as much as it's just good, it's just good and it's healthy and, like, we, we know all this, it's also, like, you know, binge eating and, and gaining weight and weight fluctuations are a huge trigger for me, like still. Um, so it helps all around moderate and it's really, really good for your mental health also. I know that the, so both of the things that we talked about in terms of the assault and the miscarriage, obviously those are like really traumatic events, but you had expressed to me, the reason we were even talking about that is you expressed to me off air that you actually believe that you gained like some kind of valuable insights for your life. What, what can you speak to that with the miscarriage in particular? Like what, what did you, when you approached me or when I approached you and you said, you know what, I do want to talk about this. It was in August. This is why I want to share about this. And this is how it affected my life in a positive way later. Like tell me a little bit about that. Um, it changed my life because it showed me what I wanted. Um, even though it didn't work out this time, I, it, let me know very clearly that I wanted to be a mom, um, one day. And it gave me this feeling that I had never had before this like complete feeling, like having a purpose, like wanting to be alive for a reason that wasn't like a substance, (laughs) um, up until that point. And my mom, I, I remember she was dropping me off one day after the miscarriage. I was going to like hang out with a friend or something. And I was really bummed out. And she's like, you know, you can still, like, have that feeling even without a baby in your belly. And I was like, what? <laughs> that seems so foreign to me. But after she said that, I kept, um, and I was like, oh, she's right. I have, I hadn't, it took me a while to find it. I actually found it, um, in, in TikTok and stuff and online, yeah. um, in a, in a big way. Um, so personally that was, that was huge for me. It was like a perspective shift that I needed and it just kind of like, even though it didn't turn out the way that I thought that I wanted it to at the time, it gave me a peek into what was possible and a vision for the future, um, for myself. And then also, um, I, why I like to talk about it is because I know, a lot of people that have been through like pregnancy loss. Um, I mean, whether it's, whether it's like a miscarriage or abortion or what, whatever, it can be super, super traumatic and, um, overwhelming. And it's not something that people really talk about too often. And I learned that when I was going through it and I was like, you know, there's just so much that I didn't know. Um, and I, so yeah. And, and, um, like you were saying earlier about, you know, seeing people and then getting inspiration, like, oh, I can, you know, like this person is cool. Like I can be sober because seeing like this person can do it. That's a huge part of where I draw my inspiration from too. Like watching you work out and have fun in the studio. I'm like, oh my God, like I can do that. And going to AA meetings like is, um, was the first way that I, could do that too. And now I can do that online as well, where I see people and I'm like, Oh, I can do this. Like it is possible. Um, and so that's, what's really kept me going through my darkest, um, 
moments is like seeing other people and just knowing that it's possible and um like my journey might look different but it's it's possible and I can get there and I could just like stick it out for a little bit longer um so that's that's why I talk about it and that's why that's the what I kind of came away from it because it wasn't the right time and I but I I let go of that anger about it I think pretty much yeah salt you said that left you with some insight too what would you what would you say about that um I had been so reckless with my life in like a way of like someone that kind of has a death wish um but I had just been so reckless with my life on so many occasions and like there were so many times where like I could have not been okay or like should have not been okay. And, um, I would take the gamble over and over again of like putting myself in, in really dangerous situations or like, you know, when hearing about a lot of, um, overdose deaths this year, um, it's so eerie because I remember like I've been in that position so many times where it's like, Oh, if I take this, I don't really know what's going to happen. Like I might die, (laughs) but I still knew that I was going to take it. And like knowing that, like I could not wake up from that is a very, very eerie feeling. Um, and it's part of why I stick with sobriety today. Um, but this was like just an example of like, I, I thought, I kind of thought I didn't care if I lived or died. And, um, I kind of didn't take too much time to think about whether or not me living or dying, like what impact that would have on the people around me. And this Mm -hmm. experience kind of shook, shook me out of that a little bit. Um, and I just, (laughs) I got kind of an appreciation, I think for erring on the safe side. Um, a little bit. Trauma can do that, right? I mean, that's my whole, like you commented on my Instagram the other day. That's my whole message is that is the idea of post-traumatic growth. Yes. Which is not something I'd heard a lot about, but, and one of the reasons is you come away from a trauma with, with way more gratitude sometimes than you had prior. And if we can put some focus there, it can not only help ease the pain of the trauma, but also restore you know, or bring like almost more positivity into our lives. You know I mean? That's like my whole, that's my whole thing. So I think it does make sense. And people are almost like afraid to say that, you know, but yeah. it can actually be true. You yeah, know? definitely. And do we wish it would have happened? Probably not, but can, it did. So we can, we can stick in the mire, mm-hmm. right. And the negativity, or we can say, look at this left me with like such, you know, with a gratitude for my life and you know, enhanced relationships and a path of spirituality, which maybe I wasn't going to walk on, you know, all those kinds of things. So if you, if you had one thing, one piece of advice that you could give someone that was an earlier recovery, what would it be? What would you say to somebody that was an early recovery and maybe struggling earlier? Uh, I would definitely say reach out to someone. Um, Do, yeah, reach out to someone. It's much easier not to do it on your own. Um, but also like just staying sober minute to minute is like a miracle. 
Um, so if you're doing that, like do, just do whatever it takes to stay sober, like one day at a time or one second or one minute at a time. My first sponsor told me that. And, um, because I think a lot of the time we, we beat ourselves up for like not doing enough, not feeling right. Um, not doing things fast enough. Uh, things aren't happening fast enough. Um, I kind of had to slow down in my recovery and just give myself kind of like a little bit of grace to like eat a bunch of food or watch a bunch of Netflix or not go outside because it was just too much that day. Um, stuff like that. So like do kind of whatever you need to do. Um, and you don't need to like feel done all at once even. Like if you're just like, hey, I don't think I'm going to drink today. And then you can, like, reassess the next day. Like, it doesn't have to be this total, absolute overhaul all at once. Um, in fact, a lot of my times giving sobriety another chance or, like, going back into rehab, I wasn't even fully convinced. Um, and that's where the one-day-at-a-time thing really comes in handy. Um, a lot, it helped me a lot to walk through it with other people. So, like, going to a meeting yeah. or, or calling calling someone. I heard someone, I don't remember where I heard this recently, but you just reminded me, I heard somebody say recently, you don't actually have to believe in yourself yeah. at all to take action. Exactly. You, you can have zero belief, like none. Cause I had none. I tried this many, 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 many times. And the last time I was detoxing at my, at my buddy's house, I didn't think it was going to work when I came back, but you know, going out there, going the 24 hours, eating the Suboxone and calling my sponsor, yeah. I could do that regardless of my belief in myself. Yes, you know? that's actually, that's a really good point. And that is another quote that stuck with me. Um, because yeah, I definitely didn't believe in myself, didn't like myself enough, didn't think that I deserved this, nothing. Um, right. And quote was at one of the rehabs I went to, it's easier to act yourself into right thinking than it is to think yourself into right acting. And, um, you know, I made fun of it a bunch, but it is, it For is sure. true. I've made oh, fun wait. of all of those things and they're Hold all on. accurate. I got to grab my, are you grateful? Speaking of like the post-traumatic growth, are you grateful in general? When we talk about like who you were in high school, where you are now, are you grateful in general that you are an alcoholic in recovery, that, that you have, that you have this history and this, this predilection? 100%. Yes. Um, yes. I think it, yes, hundred percent. Very grateful. Um, I also wouldn't know anything. I don't know anything else. Um, but I, I am, I am very grateful and I'm grateful to have, um, grown from it. And I'm grateful that, uh, you know, people before me in my family, especially passed on their recovery. Cause I wasn't actually the first one to get sober in my family. I've had tell people where to all of your, your social media platforms and where they can find you and more about you. Okay. Um, so you can find me, my handle on everything is rehab girlfriend. That's uh TikTok. That's where most all of my stuff is. Um, Instagram, that's where you can kind of get more of a little bit of a personal thing. I do stories and stuff and talk a little bit more about my life and I'm, I'm definitely more active on there. Um, YouTube, I have all my long stuff that I've done so far. I really would love to do more, but what I have so far is up on YouTube. Rehab Girlfriend. Um, and I create uh, videos 
and kind of run behind the scenes on dope cookie doughs, uh, eat dope on TikTok. There, I know you did on the other interview, but in case, tell us a little bit about Dope that. is a cookie dough company. They make uh, edible cookie dough with like flaxseed and heat treated flour, so there's no like salmonella risk or whatever. You can bake it or eat it raw. And Kelsey. Oh, I didn't know that was what was in Yeah. There. That's what makes it safe. Yeah. She has sent me some, you guys. It's so, so, so good. So flaxseed and what was the other uh, thing? Heat treated flour. I didn't know oh, that that was okay, a thing. Okay. And a lot of people, a lot of the comments, people are like, what? Flour? But apparently, yeah. So no risk of E. coli mm-hmm. or salmonella. So that's what they mean by edible cookie dough. It's also delicious. And it, it was founded by um, Kelsey, who is now she's about to be six years sober in two days um on september 14th which is actually national sober day i don't know how she timed it that way um but she (laughs) is really a great kind of i don't know the first like recovery friendly workplace that i've worked at um and she does a lot of cool initiatives and stuff like that very into stamping out stigmas with mental health and addiction recovery and she also donates a portion of uh, all profits to she recovers um which is a great foundation for women in and seeking recovery um and she's done that from the beginning uh right out the gate because she founded the company in sobriety uh so yeah that's 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 dope for your time i'm so glad that i found you online and i'm glad we got to uh do this twice and go a little bit more <laughs> yes. into it because I'm probably going to include an intro that says that we did it in two so people don't think Kim is just ignoring me the whole time <laughs> thank you so much Janine I, I love talking to you we literally talked for like five we, we hours two and a half hours yeah uh-huh. we've been on that's the phone since 11 so and I was I like that's why I was just checking my phone. My husband is like driving back from San Francisco. He's probably been texting me. So I hope nothing's sorry. happened at the studio. <laughs> I hope nobody burned it down because I've had my phone on do not disturb and been talking to you. Me too. This entire time, but it was awesome. Me too. Thank you so much. Um, you're awesome. I love you. I love your content. I love your studio. I really wish I was down there um, in SD I and I could come too, there in person. Too. But yeah. Love you so much. Thank you so much for having me on.